Turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Ephesians you'll find in the New Testament. Back your Bibles. We continue to study chapter 4. Today we'll be focusing on verse 11 and 12. It's here in chapter 4 that Paul is addressing the unity of the church, the unity we have in the body of Christ. Last week we studied Paul's highlight of the gift that is Christ, life, death, and resurrection, what that means to us. And now he turns his attention to the appointed leaders of the church, the body of Christ, that he's put in place over the generations for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, These are important things to us, church, because we who are saved are the body of Christ. This is very applicable to you and how the Lord has called us to be and to live and to work and to do life together in an obedience to his holy word. I want to read today's passage with you uh, and the coming and the following verses so you have a little context and you'll get to see a little bit of where we're headed in the weeks to come. Ephesians 4.11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Good word of our Lord. As we look to verse 11 to get started today, we see Paul list a number of formal offices and or roles of different kinds of leadership and ministry that he's ordained to be critical for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. Some of these were ordained by God to be in place for a particular season in the life of the church. And for some, they are an ongoing way of building the body of Christ, and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Before we dive into each of these individually, notice with me something that's true of all of them. All of these are unique gifts that focus specifically on the proclamation or instruction of the Word of God for the people of God. Let's look at them individually. First, the apostles. An apostle is a sent one. That word means sent one. An apostle is one who is sent. They're sent with a message. An apostle is a messenger. Speaking of the sent ones, Jesus gives this important clarity in John chapter 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is important because the potency of the messenger or the messenger's message is determined by the authority of the one sending the messenger. Now it's important to note that there are a couple different ways the title apostle is used in Scripture. While the general meaning of sent one or messenger can apply to many situations, there is a specific group of apostles that God ordained to do a work in a very important time in the launch of the church. Paul is referencing here. We're speaking of the select individuals who were directly appointed and authorized by Jesus Christ to be his immediate representatives on earth, leaders in this important season of the launch of the body of Christ in New Testament era, those who would speak new and authoritative revelation of God, appointed to be the infallible mouthpiece of God in what they would say and Ultimately, what they would write that would become the New Testament, the Word of God, for us to study and know still today. In this sense, we're speaking of what we like to call the capital A Apostles. The twelve disciples, the Apostle Paul, the Apostles appointed, appointed to do this important work. We must understand that the office of apostle in this way was an essential one, but it also was a temporary one. The apostles were empowered in purpose for this very important season 
in this launch of the body of Christ. But again, we must understand there are no more apostles in this way like the twelve or Paul were in their day. How do we know that the capital A apostles were only for a time? Well, there are a number of answers. First, to be a true apostle, you had to meet three very important qualifications. You had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. Acts 1, Acts 10, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15. Speak of this truth. You had to be a witness of the life of Christ or of His resurrection to be qualified to be an apostle. These are the ones who walked with or witnessed Jesus in His day. Second, they had to be appointed personally by Jesus Himself. The apostles are referred to as those He has chosen. Even at the end of chapter 1, when they are seeking to replace Judas, they go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, show us which one of these two you have chosen. And the Lord revealed it was Matthias. Third, to be an apostle, you had to be able to work miracles. Matthew 10, 1-2, Jesus called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. 2 Corinthians 12.12 says, The signs of the true apostles were performed among you with the utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. To be an apostle, you had to be able to work miracles. This unique gifting of God to select individuals for very specific times in the life and history of mankind. When we look at these three qualifications, we have to realize immediately that no one alive today meets these three qualifications. So we understand the New Testament gift or the office of apostleship has ceased. The Lord is no longer giving this gift and authority and work to be done. That said, God did appoint them to fulfill this important role in this most critical time in the launch of the early church. And one of that, one aspect of that is so huge for us today in the writing of the New Testament. God's Word is clear to tell us that the holy canon of Scripture is closed. That means there is no more new revelation that God needs to tell us. He's been specific to say that what's been written is complete. And we should praise God for His work in and through the apostles. The critical work that they did to write Holy Scripture as God ordained it. To launch the church that we're now joyfully a part of generations later. Surely the work that they did was and continues to have a great impact on God's equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Second, look with me at the next role he speaks of, and that is the prophets. Now what you have to understand is the kind of prophets that Paul's referring to here are not the Old Testament prophets of Old Testament times, but those who are, who are appointed to help the apostles lay the foundation of the church in the New Testament era. They are those who were called by God to speak the truths of God wherever they went. They're appointed teachers to proclaim God's truths to the world, world under the divine direction of the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Canon was still being written, the testimony of what Jesus had said or taught, the testimony of what God wanted revealed to the people in that time, was given largely through the work of the prophets. Therefore, it was through the work of the prophets that God's words were shared in that day. Like the apostles, the role or gift of prophet to proclaim revelation from God is not active or needed any longer. Why? Because the Holy Scriptures are now complete and declared completely sufficient for proclamation and teaching. Paul makes this clear in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the person who says, hey, I'm just looking for this Word of God, this Word from God, this I, I need some direction. No, the Scripture is clear to say, everything you need to be revealed to you is in the, word, the written Word of God. Next are the evangelist. An evangelist is a proclaimer of good news. It's a unique application of proclamation that differs from a pastor's preaching or a Christian's testimony 
to others of the gospel. The role of an evangelist is slightly different in that they're specifically called, trained, and sent to proclaim the gospel to others that haven't heard it. This could be a focused effort to proclaim the gospel to people in prisons or street corners within a certain community or region of the world or to unreached people groups throughout the world. In light of this, a way to think of the work of an evangelist in, in our modern day are missionaries. If and when those missionaries are proclaiming good news to people or regions of the world who have not heard the gospel. Realize that in the days of Paul, when he wrote this, the sending of the equipped to do the work of an evangelist was a super critical part of the church's growth, both locally, regionally, and beyond. Why? Because so much of the known world had not been evangelized yet, had not heard this gospel news. It needed to to go out locally, regionally, and then to the ends of the earth. Sadly, in our modern day, we hear people wrongly use this officer title of evangelist. Many evangelists are self-defined. They're self-appointed to travel, to preach, and in more charismatic circles, maybe to do tent revivals or other such things. The main problem with this kind of application or definition is that it's an unbiblical use of the term and that they're very unbiblically disconnected from the local church. See, too often self-proclaimed evangelists in our modern day are a type of freelancer who does ministry essentially to the beat of their own drum. They, for whatever reason, are disconnected often from the church. This quickly leads to manipulations of whatever they intend the role to be or deem necessary. To be clear, all Christians, all of us who are saved, are called to testify the gospel and therefore practice evangelism, the sharing of the gospel with others. Some modern-day Christians are trained and ready to be sent out to proclaim the gospel to people who have not yet heard it whether, again, that's locally or around the world. But understand, there's always a tie to the local church, and those evangelists are always still under the authority of the shepherds of the church. Some of these, especially those sent overseas, likely like many of our missionaries who we currently support, will, by God's appointment, see... Lord willing, many repent and believe in the gospel that they proclaim. And some of those then will transition to have a different title, one of shepherd and pastor, to now that local flock in preparing elders, a plurality of elders, to lead the local church there. What this should not look like is the proclaiming of the gospel to people who have not heard it, seeing many saved, only then to leave them there by themselves and move on to a different town or region or come home without equipped and vetted shepherds to feed and lead and protect and care for them. A couple unique points about the title of evangelist before I move on. Only Philip is uniquely described as an evangelist in the New Testament in Acts 21.8. Paul urges Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4.5. And we, what we read here in Ephesians 4.11 is the third place in the New Testament we see this unique uh, role described. Again, during the time that Paul wrote this letter, in the inaugural season of the church, the evangelist provided assistance to the apostles, just like the prophets, in that they participated in the spreading of the gospel to so many who hadn't heard it. See with me that these were needed roles of either authority or assistance in that specific time for the spreading of the gospel, the growing of the early church, and the equipping of the saints. This was really important in these unique ways, again, because the holy canon of Scripture wasn't yet complete. The era of the apostles have come to an end with their death and the fact that holy Scripture is now complete. 
But there remains um, roles that the Lord ordains to do this equipping of the saints. And while the call and sending of an evangelist or missionaries remains today, um, we also see the unique role of shepherd teacher. Before I get to that, the work that the evangelists do is an important one. It's one that we should be praying for. Um, a unique gifting and preparation that many within our own local church would be trained, readied, and called to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. We as a church are committed to making disciples, some of whom will be trained up and then supported to be evangelists, to be missionaries who proclaim the gospel of Jesus to those who haven't heard it. Pray with me, Disciples Church, that it is God's will to save many and to plant churches through the faithful ministry of those that we train or support and or send out. A quick side note related to this is we have a special time in the life of our church now and in the coming months through the rest of the year as a number of the missionaries that we faithfully support as a church, some of you individually as well, um, are currently here in the States and in Bakersfield. They're here to rest after a number of years of being out in the field to specifically fundraise for some very important tasks and their overall mission and to prepare for the next long stint of ministry that they'll have overseas. Please be preparing yourselves to love them, to care for them, to find ways to support them, and encourage them in this really important time in their journey, for some of them 20-30 year commitment to this ministry overseas, to be upheld by the local body and encouraged and supported. One of those special families uh, was with us here first hour and worshiped with us and we got to love on them and encourage them this morning uh, they intend as well as others to be with us again so if you missed out on seeing them today um, you'll have your opportunities but you need to ready yourself to go out of your way to see them love them pray for them encourage them while they're here take them to lunch find ways to be supporting them this brings me to the next um, portion of what paul says here in verse 11 he next speaks about the shepherds and teachers. Notice here two nouns that are linked together with a single definite article. The shepherds and teachers. This shows a singularity of function in the teaching of the word to the people of God. It is important to note that while all pastors are equipped or gifted to teach God's word, not all teachers in the church will be pastors. Just as we practice here at Disciples Church, the pastors are ultimately charged with rightly dividing and teaching the Word of God for the saints in this flock. And with that charge, we can and do delegate other trained, qualified, and mature members of our body to teach and help make disciples in our church as we see the need for that, the growing need for that, praise God. Because of the office because the office of pastor is such a critical part of how God ordained the local church to be led and equipped for the work of the ministry, I want to spend some time this morning uh, diving in. As this moment in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, is, is a really critical part of all of Holy Scripture that deals with this matter and how much it is important to you as a part of the body of Christ that we would understand it rightly and then live it out rightly according to what God's called us to. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. The word for shepherd here is poimen. It's where we get our word pastor. The word pastor means shepherd. What does a pastor do? He shepherds. Shepherds the flock. He feeds the flock by instructing, teaching them, leads the flock, protects, and cares for the flock. We see the verb form of shepherding in two critical scriptures, 1 Peter 5 and Acts 20. Let's look at Acts 20 first. Acts 20 verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word care here basically means to shepherd, to shepherd. So we see the act of shepherding the church is for the Holy Spirit readied and appointed overseers. We see here in Acts 20.28 also the word overseer used, the Greek word episkopoi, which means supervisor, manager, or guardian. The other text I mentioned a moment ago is 1 Peter 5. Let me read you 1-4 through for some context and, and then we'll focus in. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The appointment of God is that shepherds oversee the flock that is among them, the local church. That means that I and Matt and Rob, your current shepherds here, are pastor shepherds of Disciples Church. We're not responsible for the flock that is called Valley Baptist Church or Sovereign Grace Church. They have their own local appointed qualified shepherds. Before we move away from 1 Peter 5, notice with me uh, that these who shepherd or pastor or oversee are referred to as elders. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. The Greek word for elder is presbyteroi. Elders are presbyters. They're, they're fatherly leaders of the flock. In all of these instructions for the local church leadership, what we come to find is that these three different terms are all describing the same office, the same function. Elder is the same as overseer, is the same as pastor or shepherd. These all describe the same office of church leadership in Scripture. What that means is, biblically speaking, an elder is not a different position or authority than an overseer or pastor. Therefore, to use any of these three titles for any of your qualified elders is biblically appropriate. Elder Matt and Elder Rob are Pastor Matt and Pastor Rob. I am one of your pastors. I am also one of your elders. Three different titles that all describe the same office. Church, we need to take seriously the appointment, the gifting, the call, and the qualifications of the office of elder. Number one, because God is very specific and thorough for these reasons. And why? Because He charges the church to follow their lead. His blood-bought children entrusted to the care of local elders. This is the way God wants His family to be equipped and led and guided according to Holy Scripture. If we as elders shirk our call and responsibility to do our job to protect, lead, feed, and care for you, the flock, entrusted to our care by the Lord, then the church suffers and God is not honored. If you fail to fulfill your God-given call to submit to and trust and follow your God-given leaders, then God is not honored, and the church, including you, will suffer. Let's take a moment and go there. We've looked at some of the role and call of the shepherds, but what does that mean for the flock? The word is specific as to what your role is in relationship to your elders. A few key texts that the Lord gives us that speak directly to this command on the sheep of the flock. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There's a real trust you must have, church, for your shepherds. Not because we are infallible. Surely we are not. But because in the Lord we've been proven trustworthy and qualified in remaining to be qualified in the Word and in life. 
there is a proper esteeming and respecting that you should show the God-appointed elders that the Lord has gifted, prepared, qualified, and appointed to lead you. To not do that is to shirk what God has commanded of His church. Notice with me that God's Word says you are to esteem them very highly. Respect and esteem them highly. If that's not a work in and of itself, notice the layer of application that this is said after the fact that these shepherds have been admonishing you. In other words, you are to trust the lead of your shepherds and respect them, especially in the context of them saying things to you that are corrective or hard for you to hear. Why should you do this? Because God has ordained it to be so. Because it is His perfect will for how the church and His blood-bought beloved children are to live and conduct themselves. Because even if what that leadership nuance might be might be a little wrong, you honor God by following and submitting to it. Because He wants shepherds to lead the sheep and not for sheep to be self-minded and of their own. If it hasn't happened in your life already, then know if you remain committed to the local body of Christ, there will be real and appointed times when you have an opinion, a preference that differs from the direction um, of the Word or of your shepherds, your spiritual leaders. Now, where Christian liberty applies, it is fine to exercise your preference given that you're not usurping God's Word and command. But even still, your attitude, according to the text, should be one that there's a desire to lean in to your shepherds, to understand what they're trying to get to and where they're trying to take you, to know their thoughts and their biblical counsel. Instead of reading something once or hearing something on the past and walking away in disagreement or with grudges, no, to lean in, to give the benefit of the doubt, as God has appointed this to be, that this would be to you a great value, a great blessing, that you trust God's way that He's designed this to be done in the life of His people. See that in this you're embracing what God has put in place instead of throwing it off and going about things your own way. If you're guilty of doing this, then repent and begin to do what the Lord has made clear you should do. Which we see the author of Hebrews say very specifically in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will get, have to give an account. Church, the language here is simple and clear. I didn't say it's necessarily easy, but it's simple and clear. When your shepherds give you biblical charge, you are to obey them and submit to them. Realize that while these matters may seem inconsequential to you at times, we shepherds are charged to keep watch over your soul. We will stand before God and have to give an account for you. You won't have to do this for each other, but we'll have to do it for you. How are you potentially guilty of playing light with this command as a member of the local church? How can you grow and do better at obeying this command moving forward? There often is great thought and purpose into the things that we say or do so that when you don't quite understand or maybe are struggling, maybe you on the surface disagree, you honor the command by slowing down, leaning in, and respectfully inquiring to the facets that maybe seem off, that you might not understand rightly, giving the benefit of the doubt that your shepherds and their wisdom are honoring the Lord. If you have shepherds that continually don't honor the word of the Lord, those are shepherds you shouldn't follow. But if they are, then you should, even if it's really hard. Value their leadership and submit to them in joy. Why? Because this is the way the Lord ordains the body to grow and the people to be led and cared for. And it only works if you do your part. Lastly, God's Word says that sheep of the flock should watch and imitate the spiritual maturity of their shepherds. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. 
This is the big reason why just attending church is not enough. You must enter into discipleship relationships with your leaders or those that we've discipled and trained up to be disciple makers. You would walk with our group leaders, our elders, our deacons, that you would lean in. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, I ask you, how might you be guilty of playing light with this charge upon you as a member of the local flock? Being dismissive, not really tuning in to these things that God has ordained are good for you. How can you do better at this moving forward? You tuning into this will help us to build up the body of Christ and grow in maturity as Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus to do. See with me Paul's emphasis to highlight that God equips His saved saints through the ministry and leadership of the shepherds He puts over them. See that this is God's good and perfect design when you feel tempted to do church your own way. To go at your own agenda. To do things with your own priorities. No, God has made it clear that we have an important role to play. And it's not something we get to design on our own. Instead, we embrace God's good design to faithfully participate in the body of Christ the way He has designed it to be. Now, the Scriptures show us four main duties in which pastors are responsible. Protecting the flock from wolves and false teachers. Caring for the flock. Leading the flock. And feeding the flock. Because Paul's emphasis here in Ephesians 4 is on the teaching of the Word for the equipping of the saints, let's focus on that unique aspect of those four today for a moment. In John 21, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Can you imagine the responsibility that Peter felt, the privilege that he felt to be told by the Lord, I'm asking you to feed my sheep. I can tell you from my own experience, this is a high and weighty call. To feed in this metaphor means to, to teach, instruct the flock, the Word of God. This is a charge not just given to me as your preaching pastor, but to every man who God raises up to the office of biblical elder here at Disciples Church. Currently, that includes Rob and Matt in this season of our church. Lord willing, our discipleship will prove to add more readied men as the Lord sees fit. The call to rightly teach God's Word for the equipping of the body of Christ is a high call on pastors. Therefore, Paul is clear in his instruction in 1 Timothy 3.2 that one of the key qualifications is they must be able to teach. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Though not every elder God raises up will have full-time preaching and teaching responsibilities, some will be given more time, be more naturally gifted in communication, or simply be assigned to use their gifts more in this particular area. That said, every elder must be able to teach the full counsel of God. That doesn't mean that they're good at just instruction. It means they're equipped to rightly handle the Word of God, to divide it and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Titus 1.9, Paul goes, goes on to say the elder must be able to use the Bible to exhort others in sound doctrine. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, not as he wants it to be, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Church, sheep, see with me how important this role is for your shepherds to do well for your sake. God puts this in place so that those who are making decisions for the local flock do not do it based on their own priorities or preferences. We don't teach our own ideas. We teach and lead from the authority of the Word of God. Sadly, there are a lot of churches who have propped up men, even in an unbiblical way, propped up women, to preach and teach God's Word to the saints. But they're not rightly called or equipped or qualified. They're not committed to faithful exposition of God's Word. These are ones that 
while it seems like they're good and devoted people, that they love God deeply, they might be passionate and gifted in their delivery, they do not teach God's word rightly and fully, and therefore they teach another gospel altogether. Paul warns of these kinds of churches or kinds of teachers or those who would chase after them. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Surely you've seen others do this. Maybe this is a part of your own testimony. Maybe it's part of what you're even tempted to do right now. That you would not endure sound teaching. Yeah, the reality is sound teaching from Scripture is often very hard. Why? Because it, it, it demands of you obedience to God on matters that you might in your flesh disagree with or have other priorities. And so people will say, no, I'm just going to go find a church that's just easier to be around. Teach the Bible a little less. And just find my way. And sadly, many of those churches exist. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You come out of churches just like that. By God's grace, He's brought you to a place where you've learned to value the teaching, the authoritative and full teaching of God's Word. There are a lot of things that you should have patience with us, your pastoral elders, over. Please. But teaching falsehood and twisting the Word of God or leading outside of God's instruction is not one of them. There's just too much at stake. It's your job to hold accountable your leaders to lead God's church according to the Word of God. Men, leaders of the household, let me talk to you for a moment. It is your job to be diligent to place you and your families in under committed and faithful pastors and in churches that rightly defied the Word of God. Stop looking to your wives and your children for what they want. This is your role. And you need to do it well and faithfully. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not your job to come and listen and then just apply the things that you like. Disregard the things you don't. No, it's your job to submit yourselves to the right and faithful teaching of the whole counsel of God. Even when that upsets your plans, your trajectory, your family, your bank account, your priorities. Consider with me for a moment the words of James on the subject. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James highlights that those who teach carry a high responsibility due to the great influence that they exercise on others. Therefore, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Similar to Jesus' warning in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Many often perceive those who teach as having a cool or prestigious role. Uh, it is seen as a lofty calling, a a practice and practice that can cause people to long to be teachers, people who shouldn't be. There is a right fear and trembling which should come with teaching God's word, the responsibility to wield it correctly, to honor God, and therefore rightly influence others is not a light one we should treat in any manner. There's a discipline of life, of study of humility that must come with those who teach. If there's not, then arrogance, ego, pride will not only lead to the demise of the teacher, but to his hearers. Your shepherds must rightly and faithfully teach the Word of God. This is not an option, church. This is a must. Are you praying for us in this? I know many of you do, but it is critical that you pray ongoingly for time, and energy to study and to prepare. You help us 
by recognizing that we don't get to do everything. We don't get to participate in all the unique facets of ministry because there's unique parts of our call which are to be tended to for the sake of the body in this way. And so be slow when you don't see one of the elders at the weed pulling day or at the particular moving day or at any other random ministry that's happening, all good and needed for the church. Because to not be devoted to the Word and to prayer and to leading the church biblically is to all of our eventual demise. Lift that up. Protect it. Fight for that time and energy to do it well. Pray for our wives and our children and the sacrifice that they give so that we can do this well. May we never become guilty of teaching what we want or what we think you want to hear. Can you imagine the temptation in order to keep the room full? Our aim in teaching must not be what you, the hearers, want, but what God wants. Amen? What do I mean by that? If I write a sermon or preach a sermon, or when I'm teaching, or when, I, when our teaching team prepares to deliver our different lessons, our aim must be to honor and please God alone. We must rightly and faithfully and joyfully speak what He wants and what He will enjoy and not what the people want or what the people will enjoy. If we do this, then the hearers will hear what He wants to be communicated, and we will be most impacted and benefited by God's truths. To recap, pastoral elder is a qualified and called man, not woman, to lead, to teach, to govern in the local church based on the doctrine and authority of Scripture, exercising wisdom in all matters. Church, are you committed to faithfully following your qualified elders as we remain faithful to leading and teaching God's Word? Do you pray for us? Do you faithfully lean in and to follow us and to be equipped by us? Not on your terms, but to be ready to be led as the Lord calls us together in plurality to what He would have us to do. If so, if we're doing our part and you're doing yours, then what Paul moves to next will happen. See the construct by which these things come about. Look with me. He longs for these leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. God has put this system into place, church. He has designed the local church to be led by faithful and biblically qualified elders and to be full of faithful and devoted saints. See that God uses the elders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which builds up the body of Christ in a unity of faith, sound knowledge of the Son of God. We are faithful to do church the way God designed it to be done. So we wouldn't be tossed about. We would mature. We would endure. Our testimony would endure. Many more would be saved and discipled and raised up. Church, we need to see God's design in this and see that it's good. You need to see your essential role to this. See, many people think that they're going to choose a church, participate in a church, and then leave a church however they want to or whenever they want to. If this is your thinking, you've bought into a modern ideology of, of church shopping, of church buffet. It's a marker of pride. It's a marker of selfishness. You as a Christian are not submitted to God's Word in this and what this should be. You're just... Doing this on your own agenda. Too many times I've heard people say, oh, we were convicted left and right, and we didn't like this, or we left it. It's, like, it's just all your own agenda. The marker of wisdom and honoring God is faithfulness to know what does God want us to do or prioritize in choosing a church, in participating in a church, and if ever to leave a false, failed, or unbiblical church. How's that, how, how should that happen? Our job as the pastors is to lead and equip you saints for the work of the ministry. One of the great atrocities to this call on the church is the era that we're coming out of right now. 
Lord willing, more and more will be coming out of it as we have. The church moved away from Scripture a few decades ago to embrace secular business models and ideals of how to grow bigger churches. Um, Platforms were created, professionals were hired, and the church growth era began. This produced well-oiled programming, high-tech productions, specialized ministries for all ages. All of this was accomplished mostly by paid staff who did the work of the ministry, while the congregation essentially was trained to attend, give generously, and let us do the rest. Literally, the last couple generations of adults were essentially taught, bring your kids to us, we'll disciple them for you. Very little has been done to partner with the mom and the dad, to, to hold accountable, to dig in, that God has appointed you to be the primary disciple makers of your kids. In this model, the church saw amazing attendance numbers. The mega church was born, and it's all over the place. Many, even our own community, numbers skyrocketed. Largely due to the fact that churches in this model made it just easy for people to come and attend instead of being accountable, instead of being equipped to do the work of the ministry that God's appointed. While the church growth era looks on the outside like this great success, it left large amounts of people in shallow or superficial states of faith, whereby disciples were not really being made, church discipline was never happening. And real accountability wasn't happening. As a sad result, generations of kids were raised in the church, but all too quickly walked away. Why? Because God's model of what this is to be and to look like was not being followed. Church, if you looked at the books I would come home from conferences back in the day, my, my shelves were filled with how to grow big church books. Written by businessmen, not written by pastors. Hear me clearly. Sanctuaries were full of people, but too many of these people were not doing what the Bible says the church is to do or to be. I know because I was part of it. I was trained in it. I knew it. And I, and I played by the playbook. It was why I was hired to come here in 2002 as the next youth pastor to recreate the the historic youth ministries of old, and we did it. I was good at it. So it's only by God's grace that we are now where we are. It's only by God's grace that He brought true conviction to a number of us to see Scripture, to, to hear from God, not the businessman, what the church should look like, to hear what the Lord's priorities are for disciple-making, for the gathering of the saints for the practicing of the one another's, for the raising up of new generations. And so by God's grace, in early 2008, there were markers of the reformation of our historic church began. And now 12 years later, look at what God has done. So much change. Church, I can't tell you how many times I've other pastors say what, what God did at First Baptist Church through you guys doesn't happen. Enough. Why? Because based on the old model, you're a fool to hold fast to Scripture, to preach boldly and hold accountable members. Why? Because people will leave. Because people want it shallow. Because people want you to just attend to what they think they're paying for to get. And so as we started shutting down ministries, people would leave to other churches who were doing those things. As we started teaching the authority of the Word, people would leave and go, that's not the God I believe in. We watched hundreds of thousands of dollars in giving leave. Hundreds of people that were faithful members of this body. But praise God, many stayed. Many grew. Many of you have been reformed and refined with us as we've just held fast to Scripture. And it's a joyful testimony to hear some of our longest standing members say today that it's never been sweeter than it is right now. Because of the health. Because of the depth. Why? Not because of us. Not because of the building. Not because of any of that. Just because we're doing what God's called us to do and we threw away the rest. And praise God for the maturing that's happening and the work that he's doing. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
My job and the other elders' jobs is to train you up, to teach you and equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. That means the church only works when the shepherds are not busy doing the work of the ministry, but we're busy studying and praying and teaching you, leading you, equipping you to do the work of the ministry. See with me, Paul's emphasis here as it applies to every one of us. Every member of the local church has a part to play. You are an integral piece of the body. And if you don't do your part, then the body hurts. Every one of you has an important role to play. That means there is no ministry of regular attender. I know that some of you still fall in that category. You've been attending faithfully. You don't have any ministry. You don't have any necessary real connection to discipleship. So hear me love you enough to say that needs to change. Because your call is not to just be an attender. To come when you want. To not really be leaning in and asking your shepherds, what, what is the call in my life and my family? What is my role? How do I honor my Lord with the days He's given me? Every saved man and woman has a place to serve and minister in the local church. It will look very diverse. But you have a part to play. I pray God's doing that work in you right now, today. Are you truly a part of the church? Not because you attend, but because you belong. Because you're faithful to leaning in, to being in each other's lives. You're not, waking, you're not waiting for your phone to ring. You're calling others. You're calling your leaders to say, I'm hungry to, get, to begin to serve again. Well, where, where could that be? I'm ready. Is this you? Can I say first, you have to be saved to be part of the local body of Christ. If you're truly not a believer yet, that's step one. Have you seen your sin? Has it broken you before the holiness of God? Have you confessed that sin to Him? Do you see the beauty of Christ's life, death, and resurrection in your place? Where that's not just a historical fact now. He did that for you. And that you want to not be Lord of your own life anymore. You want to belong to Him. You want to obey His Word. Be part of His church for His glory. Then repent and believe and be saved. Nothing you can do can earn that. You trust in Jesus for all of it. And what's amazing is He will come in and change you from the inside out. Give you new affections. Wake you up. Get you out of that sleepy place you've been to participate in these days that the Lord gives you for the glory of God and the good of His people. If you are a true believer in Christ, are you a faithful part of the church? Faithful in your attendance, Faithful in your giving. Faithful in your serving. Faithful in being known and equipped. Being discipled. Faithful in looking to your leaders for direction and counsel. Faithful to take what you're being given and then to depart that and give that to others in your own household, your children and others. When you decide you're too tired, too busy, too selfish, too lazy to be on the playing field with the team. Instead of doing that, you're essentially deciding, deciding to kind of just watch from the stands. Can I just lovingly point out that if you're in the stands watching the church do what the church is called to do, you're acting a lot more like the heathens of the world than the body of Christ? They're desperate for Jesus to change their hearts, to privilege them with the ability to serve God with their days. I say this because we need to see how serious this is, church. We need to see that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of so-called churches in our town that will be happy to have you pay to just come attend. They'd love it. I would contend that maybe many of these that you're considering are not real churches at all. They're doing something else. It might be just sprinkled with enough of what looks biblical, what looks like it honors Jesus. Church, The church is the body of Christ, committed to doing the ministry of Christ that He saved us to do, dying to ourselves and living for Him, day in and day out. Hear Romans 12, 3-8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them, church. Are you intentional to being equipped to using your gifts, your time, your abilities, your resources to the ministry that God's called you to be part of? If not, then rejoice. This is a time that God's appointed for you to be convicted, to repent, to turn unto what He's called us to do. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you are able body or not. You have a part to play. And we want to have that conversation with you. I'm thankful for some of the examples around us. I'm thankful for the Roger Pelzes. Roger passed away many years ago. Um, his beloved wife, Julia, is still a faithful member here, who we love. Roger served all the way up until two weeks before he died in kids' ministry. He didn't tap out. He had every reason to slow down. His body was dying But until he literally couldn't do it any longer, he showed up to serve his Lord and the body of Christ. I love that. Because you know when you retire from ministry is the day you die. The day that God calls you off the field, that's when you're done doing ministry. You might retire from work and other things. Praise God, that's more opportunity to do ministry. Not to go see more tropical trees. Maybe maybe a little of that. But it's for ministry. It's for ministry. You know, the American dream's haunting, church. The the ideals of our culture are all jacked up. We need to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do and to be. Again, I say, if if you're feeling convicted by this this morning, be humble enough not to give excuses, but to just say, praise God for conviction. This is where I need to be. Take me here. I'm thankful for a number of our men who have served in ministries that aren't their favorite thing. It's not really what they want to do, but they're saying, if that's where you need me, then that's where I'll serve. I love that. I'm thankful for many of you who have held the reins, um, held up areas to keep them going, even if it's not your favorite thing. You are a critical part of the body of Christ. I'm a critical part of the body of Christ. If we're both doing our parts, then it works according to what God's called it to be. That we are equipping you, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Praise God that He's building up the body. Praise God that He's sanctifying many who have been content to be spectators instead of players. Praise God He's revealing to many what true and faithful shepherds are to look like and what it is to truly follow their lead and to do that well in a God-honoring way. Praise God for His work in our leaders and in our members in this season of reformation of our church. May it be for the good of generations to come. You, you, You... Students and children in the room, let me just say this quickly. This is for your good. This isn't just for you to put up with. This is for your equipping. This is setting the stage for you to have the reins, for you to be leading generations next. Church, parents, see that that's what we're doing. Just to make it about you is is to miss the marker of what this is intended to be. May we truly come every Sunday and midweek, hopefully soon, to be faithful to the Word and to discipleship so that equipping is happening, so that ministry is happening. The body is being built up as God ordains it for His glory and for many's good. Amen? Paul is just warming up, church. Where this text goes in the coming weeks, I get chills thinking about it, is the bomb. It's so good. I'm excited to see the fruit of what healthy and growing church looks like with you. A united body for the glory of God. So I pray that you come hungry. But right now, we're going to pray. We're going to stand and unite our voices in song and prepare for the ministry that God has us beyond these doors. Lord, we thank you for this time together today to worship, to study your word. Oh God, you are good. Worthy to be praised. Look at what you've done. Look at how you've, how you've saved. When we didn't deserve it, look how you made us new. Oh God, we worship you. We love you. We are privileged to be yours. And I pray where salvation is needed, faith, true faith, saving faith, that you would bring it. That you would deliver people from the chains 
of the wrath that they've earned because of their sin, that they'd be free in Christ, free to participate joyfully in the body, to be um, evangelists, people who are sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Lord, I pray for our homes, pray for our marriages, I pray for our individuals and our children, that you would be protecting us and raising us up to, to grow in these things. Where repentance is needed, repentance would happen. That humility and love and unity would bring us together forward through the highs and the lows, knowing that you're on the throne and at work in these mighty things. Father, I'm excited. I'm excited for some of our folks who have been attending it's time to become members. It's time to participate at a greater level. I'm excited for some of our members who have found a way to the sidelines that they would get back in the game. I'm excited for this new season as, as we, we move out of a time of, of, of separation and quarantine that, that the church would be active in the community, even a community that's on fire, even a community that is sick, that, that the work of the Lord would be happening for your glory. And so we love you and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.